Hey, hey, how you doing? Okay, I heard you guys were the fun service. That's what Robert told me about the 11.30, since I haven't gotten to do three services in a while. So looking forward to having a lot of fun right now. It's going to be great. And I wanted to start with some memes, because we all know that memes are fun. Okay, so there's this whole string of memes on the internet, you may have seen them, called You Had One Job. Have you guys seen these? Okay, and uh, there's just kind of like work-related fails that people have to go through. So let me just show you a couple to give you an idea. Here's one. That ATM installer had one job. <laughs> you gotta believe if someone just sits across the street and laughs all day. <laughs> okay, here's another one. You need a prophetic dream to know what to do before you walk up to that door. <laughs> okay, here's another one. Happy birthday in French. There is actually a whole subreddit of these memes related to cake toppings. Like apparently there's a lot of problematic cake toppings. I don't know, anyway. So happy birthday in French. Some of you guys have been going to Walgreens after church and moving stuff around. Jesus was there. Okay. I don't know whether to move the wine or to move the sign. Anyway. Okay. Gave the bakery a photo on the USB drive to put on the cake. This is the cake they made. Am I the only one that stuff like this happens to? <sighs> okay. Next. Personal favorite. <laughs> I got a great spot. <laughs> it's right in front. Don't worry, that won't happen to you in the parking lot today. I still don't know what happened to the headlight here. It's kind of making me wonder if this one's a Photoshop job, but anyway, I think the others are real, so that one was just for fun. These examples are so funny because basically I think we all long for the one job life. We all want a simpler life. And life is not simple. Someone can at least say amen to that this morning, right? I mean, there's just complexities to the world that we live in. I think of my life last weekend, you know, I had kids that were camping and then there was a birthday party we needed to go to and I wanted to watch the Padres. We have our church commitments. There's so many different things going on. Things just felt out of control. And, you know, any given day, you could wake up just with motivation and energy and vigor for your day. And then the day's complexity can just sap it out of you. Another terrible news story you know, social issues, issues at work. And it just, the simpler life is just so elusive, isn't it? Like, it's just, you feel like you finally got it and then it falls through your fingers. And it would just be nice to have one job. You know, if there's anyone whose life is complicated, it's, uh, you know, political leaders, like the rulers of nations, presidents, prime ministers, kings and queens. And I think we saw that recently in the news with Liz Truss, the prime minister of the UK, only lasting 50 days in the position. I mean, so this world leadership is complex. And this is why I think the kings and the rulers that we have in the Bible have so much to teach us. Because we get to see these world leaders, these people that have very complex lives, and we get to view the inside of what's going on with them. We get to view an inside look at maybe their journals or what's going on in their souls and some of the decisions they made that were good or bad. And one of those premier leaders in the Bible, of course, is King David, who wasn't perfect. He made mistakes, but he had a heart after God. And he wrote many scriptures, many prayers in the Bible called Psalms. This is one of them, a famous one, Psalm 27. I'll read it for you. 
The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. This is an amazing, amazing passage of Scripture because we're actually going to see David's heart. We're going to see his heart for one thing. We're going to see his heart to have one job in a minute. But, but just some context, David writes this after, after 37 years old when he becomes the king of Jerusalem. You see, David had been, had been a shepherd. He had had a taste of the simple life, but his life grew exceedingly complex the older he got and the more he stepped into his calling. And this life is a cry for simplicity. This psalm is a cry for simplicity in a world of complexity. So I wondered, you know, when did David write this psalm? Because if he wrote it like back when he was a shepherd, like, of course, that's cool and it's inspiring, but it would mean a lot more to me if this was written when his life was really wild. And so I read some, read some commentaries this week, and this is what Mike Bickle said. He said, my conclusion is that David was probably in his 40s when he wrote Psalm 27, when he was the leader of the nation and the military, yet he prioritized seeking God's beauty. What you're going to see next is maybe one of the most important, one of the most beautiful, one of the simplest prayers in the entire Bible, perhaps one of the most essential ones, Psalm 27, verse 4. One thing have I asked of the Lord. This is what I think. He's saying, this is my one thing. This is my one job. I'm the king of a complex country. I have all these things that I'm responsible for, but I'm actually going after this one thing. This is stunning. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. I mean, there's so many other things that David could have asked for. There's so many other priorities that he could have, he could have put and say, hey, this is the one thing I'm asking. But he says, I want to dwell in God's house and gaze at his beauty. World leaders typically don't talk this way. Uh, you know, uh, some other versions of the Bible, they, they translate this passage differently. Here's some, other, here's some other ways it's phrased. To contemplate his beauty. David's saying he wanted to contemplate God's beauty. To sit at his feet. To live with him every moment in his house. This one is my favorite. To be filled with awe, delighting in his glory and grace. So David... The king of a whole nation, he's finally got what he wanted. He's finally walking out his calling in his 40s, responsible for military. There's wars. There's economic things. All these things he's responsible for. He's saying, this is my heart cry. I am going after this one thing. I want to see him. Yeah. You know, so we pick up the story of David's life in 2 Samuel chapter 5. He becomes king of Jerusalem he, he, he walks out his calling, and then I want to zoom in on this moment in 2 Samuel chapter 6, because this is the moment we see David's heart for one thing realized. We see his heart to put God's presence first realized in his life, and he sets himself up to be this kind of one thing person. 
a person that has one job. You can turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 6 as we look on becoming a presence-centered person today. That's the subject of our talk, becoming a presence-centered person. We're going to explore three things about this passage today about becoming a person of God's presence. The first thing is the call, the call for all of us to prioritize the presence of God in our lives. The second thing is the promise, what God promises us when we prioritize his presence. And finally, kind of an interesting close, a warning, a warning for us, for those that maybe wouldn't want or be afraid to prioritize the presence of the Lord. I was talking with, with Hudson. He said, man, closing, closing a sermon with a warning, that's really bold. And I was like, I know, but I got to be faithful to the text, right? It's in there. And, and God actually has a warning for us as well as his people in this passage. 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 1. David again gathered all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. So again, David, in his former life, had been a shepherd. So he was responsible for some sheep. And then the Bible says he had his mighty men, about 300 of them. And now he's got 30,000 he's responsible for. So his life is increasing in complexity. You tracking with me? And David arose and went with all the people who were with him. This is in bold because it's significant for us this morning. To Baal Judah to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name of the Lord of hosts, who sits enthroned on the cherubim. They carried the ark of God on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. And Uzzah and Ahio, there will not be a test in all these names later, don't worry. And Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, were driving the new cart with the ark of God. And Ahio went before the ark. Okay, what's happening? So David has just completed a significant battle. He and his army has defeated the Philistines. The Philistines were David's mortal enemies. If you remember the story of David versus Goliath, Goliath was a Philistine. So there was this battle that David had been fighting for decades, trying to conquer the Philistines. It finally happens, okay? And then David has this choice. Do I complete like what a good military strategist would do do I run after the Philistines and wipe them out, kind of secure my victory forever? That's option A. Or option B is this other option. Because you see, the ark of God was missing. And it was assumed that it was amongst the Philistines, that the Philistines had taken. So, so David has this choice. Do I run after my enemy or do I go get the ark? Do I go get the ark? What's the ark all about? Some of you might be thinking about the movie, Raiders of the Lost Ark, right? Or the little ride at Universal Studios, you know, where you see Indiana Jones. That's exactly what I'm talking about. The ark, the ark was a physical object that the Hebrew people would carry around. And inside this golden object, they would keep different artifacts, different things that were important to them, different testimonies. And God had ordained in this part of time, supernaturally, that his presence would emanate from the ark. And so wherever the people would go, they would bring the ark with them, and that was their symbol of the presence of God, okay? And so what is significant about this is David has a choice to make, and rather than feeding the Philistines, he goes and gets the ark. He prioritizes God's presence. You know, maybe you're familiar with the Lord of the Rings movies. What happens? There's this ring, this little ring, and it's like traveling around this world, and basically, you know, it goes through different creatures and different people are in charge of it. And the ring is always traveling. And the story follows the ring, right? It's a lot like the Old Testament. The story follows God's presence. 
as, as it is traveling through different kingdoms and different places and eventually is upon the ark, uh, the story follows his presence. And so David says, yeah, like this thing over here with the Philistines, that, that's interesting, that's important, but I'm going to respond and go get the ark. This is the call to all of us to go get the ark, to be presence-centered people. I just feel like God is inviting you this morning to center your life on his presence. Because I think we have a choice. We can be presence first or we can be task first. We can be presence first or we can be task first in our spiritual life. And I just want to say, I'm approaching this topic as a learner today in weakness. I'm probably one of the more task-oriented people in this auditorium. But there's something about prioritizing the presence of God that God is calling us to in this season. I mean, just think about the idea of presence in terms of relationships. There's like dozens of TED Talks on the idea of presence, like bringing your presence into a relationship. And I mean, we can all tell, right? When you're trying to build trust with someone, when you're trying to connect with them and they're like looking around the room, you know, they're looking, my kids never do that, but some of y'all's kids I've seen, um, you know, they're looking at their phones, you know, they're distracted. Some of us just can't help it. If there's like a TV with movement, we're just like glued, you know, and you can tell when someone is in a conversation and they are not fully present with you. Not if you know what I'm talking about, right? That happens to all of us. Okay. Well, sadly, a lot of us approach our spiritual lives in this kind of a way. Like, we, we go to God because we know God has the answer to our problem. Like, I don't think you'd be here in this room today if you didn't think God at least had some kind of answer for some kind of your problems. So we, we come to God and we're like, God has an answer for our problem. So God, just give me the plan. Just give me the tasks. Just show me the path. Let's execute. You know, I promise to get you glory at the end, but I kind of need to know what to do now. And God's kind of like after the relationship, right? He's kind of after like the co-laboring. He's after the connection. He's after our hearts. And so there's this disconnect spiritually because there, there's huge needs in our world, and I can't deny them. I mean, there's hungry people to feed. There's, there's people that need to be discipled. Like we need to finish the task, you know, and reach the nations and all these things. Uh, like we need to conquer our Philistines. Like we have goals. We have objectives. We have things that we're called to. But in the midst of doing all these important things for God, it is so easy to do them for him rather than with him. I can tell you, it goes a lot better when you do it with him. I, I, I was talking to a business leader and he'd sold three of his five businesses in the last couple years. And I said, hey, congrats on your success. And he said, oh, I view that as an immense failure because I built those three businesses outside of partnership with God. Wow. wow, that is a kingdom mindset right there. So here's what I don't want to do anymore. I'm just going to talk about myself for a minute because I have the microphone. Is that okay? <laughs> All right. Here's what I don't want to do anymore. I don't want to live in the agnosticism of inattention. I don't want to live with my attention like God isn't there. I want to be a one thing person. I want to have one job to host his presence because God's presence truly has everything we need. Like, 
Solving a, a problem apart from God with human wisdom. Solving a problem in God's presence with infinite wisdom. Like, you make the choice. Like, let's make a deal, right? It's going to go a lot better for us if we're connected to God, right? Like, in his presence, the Bible says, is fullness of joy, right? In his presence, provision actually isn't in his presence. Abundance is in his presence. So it's everything you need plus one. Like, healing actually is in his presence. Health is his presence. So you can be healed from one thing, but you can walk in ever-increasing health if you, when you surrender your life to him. Okay, so this, this is how God calls us to live. More and more dependent on relation with him, more and more dependent on his presence. And yeah, like we're going to get some stuff done. We're going to be about the task. But have you ever noticed in the Bible when the spirit of the Lord comes upon someone, they get things done a lot quicker? Like people are running like from country to country all of a sudden or, you know, Samson like kills a bunch of people with a donkey's jawbone. Sorry, but it's in there. And, you know, like people get over, they get like supercharged because they're in his presence. Okay, so... This is what makes this room, what's happening in here, different than what's going on at the Rotary Club this weekend <laughs> or what's going on at the clubhouse of a golf course or what's going on at a pickleball court, okay? I know there's some pickleballers out there. <laughs> we have his presence. You know, what's been interesting in this journey of the Light Project is having to communicate to people the social benefits of a church, because so many people are disconnected from church. And so we had to share with people, like, this is actually the benefits that churches add to communities. Like, there's people that, are, that don't know that. And so I, I've done some research on that. For example, in 1997, a study found that urban congregations like this one provide, on average, $140,000 worth of services annually to their community. That's pretty good. 2009, the researcher revised that number and they said, oh, um, that was low, $140,000. It's actually a $476,000. And then this last year after the pandemic, they revised it again because churches have done a lot for their communities. And they said, actually, no, it's actually more like $2 million of services per year that a local urban congregation provides for their community. Churches have massive economic benefits, massive social benefits. Okay, what, what, what about other kinds of benefits? Did, did you know, like the University of Cincinnati apparently has studied this, did you know that churches can actually, in communities, decrease truancy? More people end up in school for longer because of the presence of churches. Churches increase property values. So, you know. Amen. You're welcome. Right? I mean, this one was crazy to me. I, just attending church. Like, I think you should do more than just attend, by the way. We'll get there in a minute. But just attending church actually adds years to people's lifespans because it is curing the epidemic of loneliness, which people say is the new smoking in our society. Churches reduce the cost of crime in their surrounding area, use over 80% of their operating budgets to stimulate the local economy. The New York Times recently published this article, and it was all about the, the class divide, the wealth divide in our country between, you know, people that maybe have resources to invest and people that don't. And the question was, how are we going to bridge this gap? Because nothing is working. And do you know what their big takeaway was? Well, the rows of an urban church where people who are actually different than each other are one of the few places like this left in our country where people can actually build relationships and raise one another up. Isn't that awesome? It's like God knew what he was doing. 
<laughs> right? So that's awesome. So there's some benefits to us for being here. There's some benefits for the community. And I think it's okay to think about that. But I also think today that God wants to give us a higher perspective. Because what we've had in our country for the last 10, 20 years is a mindset of attending church based on the benefits that are granted to me as an attender. And I think in this season, the Lord wants to switch that around. I mean, what if we just came because he was worthy? Like we're breathing his air. We woke up this morning. What if it was about giving him our first and our best at the beginning of our week? What if it was about, oh, I remember when I used to think and live a different way and my life was a wreck and now it's not and I'm going to make sure that other people have that same opportunity so I'm going to build something great. What if it was about that? Yeah. And guess what? There's a lot of fringe benefits too. Amen? But the real reason we're here is because he's worthy. I mean, that's the big worship song of heaven, right? Worthy are you, right? You did something that no other entity in time could do. You're the center of everything. God wants to be the center of everything in our lives. A presence center person has responded to the call to prioritize the presence of God. I like I like this Hebrew word for waiting. Um, it's in Isaiah 40. Those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. I, I don't quite know how to pronounce it, but it's spelled Q-A-V-A. And it's the word for active waiting. And I think it's a great San Diego word, active waiting, because to me it reminds me of when you surf out beyond, you know, the breakers and you're waiting for a wave. And, you know, it could be a little work to wait. It could be a little work to get here. But... What if we were a community that was just excited to get together and wait and see what the Father might do? There's a wave coming, right? We got to go get the ark, amen? So let's get it in our personal lives and let's reach for it together. That's the call. Okay, um, here's the promise. Let's continue in, in 2 Samuel 6. Um, I'll start in verse 5. And David and all the house of Israel were celebrating before the Lord with songs and lyres and harps and tambourines and castanets and cymbals. We need more castanets in this church. And actually, we don't have room on the stage. Never mind. And when they came to the threshing floor of Nikon, Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it for the oxen stumbled. Okay, this is one of the most troubling, challenging passages in the Bible. So pay attention. Okay, he, he grabs the ark because the ark has stumbled, okay? And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God struck him down there because of his error, and he died there beside the ark of God. And David was angry because the Lord had broken out against Uzzah, and that place is called Perez Uzzah, which means breaks out against Uzzah to this day. And David was afraid of the Lord that day, and he said, how can the ark of the Lord come to me? So David was not willing to take the ark of the Lord into the city of David, but David took it and said to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. And the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, for three months, and the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. And it was told King David, the Lord has blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. Okay, long passage. Let me just uh, summarize it for us. David's worshiping. They're moving the ark. Now, here's the situation. There was a certain protocol that God had established to move the ark. 
So they're moving the ark, but they're actually breaking that protocol. They're doing it in their own way. Okay? So they're moving the ark, and as they're moving the ark on these oxen, the ark stumbles. So it kind of, like, let's just say like a wagon wheel breaks or something like that. And Uzzah, who's walking with the ark, he gets this idea. He says, I'm going to help God out. I'm going to grab the ark. Did that work out well for him? No, right? It didn't work out well for him at all. Okay, so he, he actually dies, okay? The presence of the Lord breaks out against him, and he dies. Everyone freaks out, and this is, must be a little bit of how they, the movie, The Raiders of the Lost Ark, was inspired. I don't know. But, and then the ark ends up at this random guy's house, Obed-Edom. Obed-Edom's not even a Hebrew. He's a Gentile, okay? He's a Philistine. He's of Philistine descent. That's what the Gittites were. And God somehow chooses Obed-Edom, and what's it say about Obed-Edom? Just read, read this with me. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. I mean, I think, I think that's pretty odd. And so, you know, as I'm reflecting on this story, there's a couple things that stick out to me. First of all, you know, there's this promise of when we value God's presence, he's going to bring his blessing into our life. Like, I think of Obed-Edom's living room. I don't know what it looks like. I guess the ark was just sitting there, you know. But when you go into someone's house, you see what they value, right? You know, I bet if I went into Hudson's house, I'd see a surfboard, right? Because he's a surfer, and he values surfing, okay? If you walk into my house, my dog Pepper is going to, like, jump on you, okay? And so, you know, that's something that we have in our family. And then you're going to walk in a little further, and then my kids are going to jump on you. <laughs> and then, finally, you're going to reach the ark in my house, which is my Swiss coffee maker. Okay, so that's something that I value. All right. Um, when, when you walk into someone's house, you see what they value. And so, you know, Obed-Edom, obviously, he valued the presence of God. But I think the thing that's more amazing about this little, this little story, it's actually a little snippet of the gospel. The whole story is encoded right in here for us. And so I just want to pull out some, some principles here. Because... Just like the ark, you see, God gave the people of Israel his presence. He blessed them. He blessed Abraham. He said, you're going to be a blessing to all the nations. You're going to carry my name. And they went their own way. They tried to do it in their own strength. That's what Uzzah means. It means strength. So Uzzah represents self-strength. Uzzah represents our dead works. Our attempts to go to God in our own righteousness, in our own holiness. Are you tracking with me? But what's Hebrews 6 say? Those who have, so we've, we have to repent of sin. Well, yeah, of sin, but also of dead works. So we, we can't help God out. He doesn't need our help, right? Like Robert said, I think it was last week, we're part of his story, right? He's not part of ours. We just get to wave at the ark, and we get blessed. That's actually a pretty good deal now that I think about it. So God doesn't need us as help. And he wasn't holy enough to help anyway. He touched the ark. And so then, where does the ark end up? Well, it freaks David out. So it ends up in the house of Obed-Edom. Not a Hebrew. What's that all about? Well, well, God gave the people of Israel his presence. But they rejected Christ. And then who did the gospel travel to? The Gentiles. Right? The other nations. And then what happened to Obed-Edom? He got blessed. And what's Romans eleven fourteen 14 say? It says that actually 
the, the original people of Israel, they're going to be jealous because of the blessing of the gospel on the Gentiles, and then they're going to want the ark back. This is, this is fascinating. So first of all, if you're just like not in the middle of this God story that is transforming world history, you could just say yes to Jesus right now. Um, because this is amazing, but practically for all of our lives, there's just a promise here. Like, if you prioritize God's presence, God is able to bless all that you have. Jesus said, put his kingdom first, and everything else would be added unto you. It's a spiritual principle. It's a spiritual law. We see it in the life of Obed-Edom. I've seen it in my life. We've seen it in other people's lives. Here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that you should do nothing about what's going on in our world. I actually think Christians should civically engage. Like, there's an election this week. You should vote. You should pray about that. There's a lot of Christians running for office. You should see what people stand for and, you know, how, how they're expressing themselves, what values that they're saying they support, and you should vote according to your faith and according to your conscience. Like, you should do that. But, but as everyday people, we have an internal locus of control and an external locus of control. There's only so many things that we can affect in our world. And one thing we can affect is if we are present-centered people. That's the one thing. That's the one job. We can't always control what happens in City Hall. We can control what happens in our living rooms. We can dedicate our homes to the presence of God. You can't always control what happens in the boardroom. You can control what happens in your cubicle. You can donate it to the presence of God. You can donate. Well, you could do that too. You could dedicate it to the presence of God. You can't always control what happens in a school board meeting. If you're a teacher, you can control what happens in your classroom. You can dedicate that place to the presence of God. And God is able, and a lot more practical, I think, than we think he is, to bless all that we need in our lives. So I don't want to be focused on dead works. I want to be focused on God's grace. Because all, all Obed-Edom did was he said yes. He was like, sure, you could leave that in my garage for a while. <laughs> right? I mean, am I reading that wrong? So we have a call, we have a promise, we have a warning here at the end of the story. Verse 12, and okay, we already read verse 12. I'm going to go to verse 13. And when those who bore the ark of the Lord had gone six steps, he sacrificed an ox and a fattened animal. So we're back to the, the proper protocol of moving the ark now. And David danced before the Lord with all his might. And David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting with the sound of the horn. And as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michal, the daughter of Saul, looked out on the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord. Michal was uh, David's wife, and she despised him in her heart. And Michal, the daughter of Saul, had no child till the day of her death. Such a contrast here between David and Michal. You know, a couple things I want to say about Michal. Michal was actually in the right place at the right time. She was at the conference where they brought the ark back. She had a great seat. She was in the room. She was at the right place. She actually had the right relationships. She was married to David. But there was something going on in her heart where she didn't say yes. And Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. We all have an individual responsibility to host the presence of God. 
it's not enough to like be part of a church that, you know, is spirit-filled. It, Robert can't host the presence of God for you, right? I can't host the presence of God for you. I'm working on my own house. I'm trying to be my own Obadidim, right? What, what about you? Like, God is calling all of us to host his presence in the living rooms around our city so that our city and our region can be transformed. That's what's going to change things. Is when, is when people feel something different about you. Maybe they'll come here. Maybe they won't. But when people feel something different about you and you say, that's kingdom, come into my living room, bam, that's the moment. Right? That was your ministry time. Because you were the one hosting the presence of God and making a place for him. The warning, though, is the warning of McCall. And I think this is just the contrast between the fear of man and the fear of God. And it can be hard to stand up for Jesus. It can be hard to be the person, you know, Thanksgiving's coming up. For me, I'm always the person at Thanksgiving that the family asks to pray, right? I'm the pastor. Well, you know, here you go. We're doing the prayer, right? And, you know, that's a funny story. But some of you are that person in your family, and you are the only Christian your family knows. That can be hard. And, you know, we want to be here for you. But I also just want to encourage you. God has you right where he wants you. Right? You plus God is a majority, and he's got everybody else surrounded. Okay? You know, I I love World War II history. General George Patton, you know, uh, he was an Army uh, tank general in World War II. Uh, The M1 Abrams tanks. And he would go down to these valleys, and he had this whole strategy. And the, valley, the strategy was he would go down in the valleys, and the German panzers would surround him on every side. And every time his lieutenants would freak out, and they'd go into his tent and say, you know, Patton, what are we going to do? You know, uh, the, the enemy's got us surrounded. And he says, that's perfect. We've got him right where we want him. I can hit him on the right, the left, the front, and the back. Right? We can't miss. <laughs> Let me tell you something. You and God can't miss. When you host the presence with him, gosh, he's going to change people's lives. Right? But it's a choice that we have to make to be bold for Jesus. So we're going to do a couple things to respond today. One thing we're going to do is we're going to do a a little prophetic act, which is reverse communion. So did everyone get communion on their seats? They're in the back. Okay. I was told during the 10 a.m. someone texted me, there's a kid next to me that's taken six of these communions. (laughs) Anyway, anyway. (laughs) that's a present-centered child right there. So so on the way out, the ushers are going to give you a communion element. And here's my challenge to you. Where around this city do you need to host his presence this week? What's the place that you want to dedicate to him? Might be your car, you know? Might be, might be your bedroom if you have some roommates, you have just a space for yourself. Might gather your, your family together, you know, and, and pray and worship and say, we're going to be a family. We don't even know how to do it, but we're saying, God, we want to host your presence. It might be, you know, you go to work a little bit early and, you know, uh, you just walk around and you pray, you take communion, you invite the presence of God into your workplace. But this is a prophetic act for us this week, just to say, we are going to be a people of God's presence. And man, we are going to come here at church and there's going to be some fresh worship coming into this church. 
While we were worshiping today, God spoke to me out of Haggai chapter 2, saying the glory of this future house will be greater than the glory of the former. And I believe there will be great days of the glory of God in this house. But what I'm asking you right now about is what about your house? Are you going to be in Obed-Edom and host the presence of God where you live? Because I think God desperately wants to fill it. I just think he desperately does. Psalm 27, you can stand with me. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Lord, we just give you our fears right now. Give you our economic fears, our relational fears. We just trade them in right now. Lord, we ask for a gift of faith. When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. Lord, we just give you the condemnation, right? the accusations, just the, the emotional challenges and the pushback that we feel for trying to live for you in these days. We just give them to you right now. We thank you that in your presence is fullness of joy. We don't have to carry those things into your presence. One thing have I asked of the Lord. That will I seek after. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Lord, we want to be a one thing, people. That's the one job we want. That's the one job we want to win at in life is to have been people that gazed upon you, prioritized your presence, and put you first. Just want to invite some prayer team to respond. There may be some people that have had personal needs that they just want to bring to God today, healing or help or otherwise. They just want to receive prayer for. for the rest of us, let's just close with a song of worship and just the time of, of dedication, dedicating this season to God. And I did this in the 830 service and I'm going to do it again. Just as we do this kind of worship, can we, can we turn the house lights all the way up? I'm sure there's some buttons you guys have to push. But actually, there's just a heaviness that God wants to bring off of us. There's just a lightness he wants to bring into our lives as we choose to put his presence first. I know that everyone can see you worship now. So what? We're breaking off the fear of man right now, right? Okay, let's raise our hands together and just close with the song of worship.